I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. The science is If you count the legal votes, I easily win. It is time to take the bricks down. This candle smells like my vagina. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question... Oh, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? This week, the extra payment of £20 universal credit introduced during the pandemic was withdrawn. The government said it had only been a temporary measure because you can't expect the poor to eat permanently. Now, this seems especially generous because the other financial news is that the wealthiest people in the world are hiding £9.7 trillion in tax havens such as the Cayman Islands where they dodge the rules to avoid paying tax. So, there's an obvious way to make the world fair. The poorest people in Britain must be allowed to set up a benefits haven. Anyone should be allowed to claim as many benefits as they like as long as all the money is sent to the Isle of Wight where the rules are relaxed. So you can receive unemployment benefit while doing a window cleaning round as long as the windows are registered in Ventnor. Cleaners will be able to claim universal credit without mentioning their earnings on the application as long as their bucket and sponges have a residence in a cupboard on the ferry from Portsmouth. Now, some campaigners will protest against this obvious theft, but the government can say they can't be too hard on benefit cheats or the benefit cheats will move abroad and fiddle a different country. And that'll be a huge loss to our economy. You'll be able to claim disability benefits, say you can't move because your neck is broken in 27 places, even if there's nothing wrong with it, as long as the neck is registered on Shanklin Pier. And then specialist accountants will find loopholes in the law that state this is perfectly legal, providing the neck is in the Isle of Wight for 20 days a year. So claimants will have to visit each year and the island will be transformed into a playground for benefit cheats. A massive harbour will be built in Sandown where benefit cheats will spend their summer relaxing on the decks of their pedalos, sipping lager before flaunting their wealth in the amusement arcades. And sometimes it will be reported that a woman from St Helens has claimed for 370 babies that don't exist, but her financial advisor will reply they were all registered as living in the theme park at Black Gang Chine. So no law has been broken. And then she'll give a £2 million donation to a party that supports the benefit sheets. It will all be so much fairer. But then, many Minister Nadine Doris explained why universal credit is being cut. She said, we're giving people a chance to step out. So they're being generous. They're helping the poor so they don't become reliant. They're helping them to step out by taking money off them. That's why so many people lay in shop doorways shouting, can you take a few coins off me, please, mate? I've got nearly two quid to last me the week here. Please take it away so I can step out. It's the same when a crackhead robs 20 quid from an old age pensioner. The robbers are simply helping them to not rely on their pension and instead to step out towards self-reliance by having to eat cat food for a week. And when there's an earthquake, they should get Joanna Lumley to do one of those appeals before the news going, All of us have been shocked and dismayed at the awful scenes that we've seen on the news this week. Over 50,000 people are without running water and are living on a few ounces of rice 
a day. That's why I'm appealing to you tonight to take whatever you can off them, no matter how little, so that these people can begin to step out rather than being reliant on handouts. And it's the same principle when you're ill. So Sajid Javed told us the health service should start at home and we should turn to our families in time of illness rather than rely on the NHS. And this is so true. Instead of whinging when an operation for a heart bypass is cancelled, we should ask our aunt to grab a tin opener and a mixing bowl and do it herself on the kitchen table. And if you've broken your arm, rather than insult you with a handout and giving you a plaster cast, the NHS should allow you to step out and make one for yourself out of old bananas. I'm looking forward to this new health service at home scheme. It'll be fun. Kids will be screaming, Mum, Nathan's hogging the x-ray machine again. Oh, stop it, the pair of you. I'm trying to give your dad a liver transplant in the bathroom. And you'll have other people going, I've got this condition that means I'll whistle out a tune. So I've signed myself off sick for nine years. It's been brilliant since we moved to the Isle of Wight. Now, anybody who has invested any amount of time or effort in working out what the fuck is going on knows it's not possible to do it on your own. You need some assistance. I am so honoured and fortunate to have with me to work out the answer to this question Mr. Sean Keaveney, up until recently presenter of many, many decades on Six Music, there probably is not a decent record in the history of music that he hasn't played. <laughs> Sean, welcome. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's a real pleasure and a privilege to be here, actually. I've got to quickly share with your listeners one of my, honestly, one of my favourite memories is I did a little bit of stand-up between 2010 and 2017 and I stopped due to public demand, as I always say. <laughs> but one of my first gigs, it was for a comic relief or something and you were there in the audience and as I walked off you were laughing and you patted me on the back and you said that was a good bit that and I will carry that with me to my grave I can't remember what the bit was Ooh. but thank you you know it's a bit like Jimi Hendrix saying nice lick <laughs> so I appreciate right. it well I'm very honoured to be known as the Jimi Hendrix of the stand-up <laughs> world yeah I've lived a little bit longer as well yeah but I've yet to be invited to sing the national anthem <laughs> Imagine that, Mark Steele sings the National Anthem at the Isle of Wight Festival. <laughs> While setting fire to me microphone. <laughs> now, Nadine Doris, who is Minister of something or other, a comically sort of ridiculous figure that you almost feel it's sort of not right to say anything derogatory about her because that's almost what yeah, they want, yeah. almost as if they deliberately yeah. picked a leopard to be the minister and everyone was going, that's ridiculous. <laughs> well, of course it is. But now, Nadine Doris, she's living up to her billing. She said something very important about the BBC. I've not spotted this. You've been there many years. You Maybe you did. Yeah. But everybody who is employed by the BBC is only there because their mum and dad worked there as yeah. well. And I'd never noticed, but I think, is this true, do you think? Well, I don't think so I mean like I haven't got any relative provenance at the BBC apart from I think my great granddad being Lord Reith and my uncle Marmaduke Hussey aside there you are there aren't really any familial links whatsoever between me and the BBC so I can't see how I got the job apart from purely on merit but it's funny that Nadine Doris it seems from the bit that I read that she was almost on the right track for like seven eighths of it she was basically making the point like many of us would which is like, oh, it's fucking impossible to get a job like in the upper echelons unless you're already posh, right? And everybody's nodding along going, Christ, that actually sounds like, yeah, I completely agree with you. But she couldn't resist sort of towing the Tory party line at the end and just throwing the BBC a little shoe, could she? 
It's like the BBC. Unless you've got your mum and dad working there, you can't get on. It's like it's just part of the deal, isn't it? Yeah, so I was looking it up. I thought, God, she might be onto something because Gary Lineker, presenter of Match of the Day, is mum's Fiona Bruce. <laughs> Graham Norton, his dad was Dougal from the Magic Roundabout. Yes, I've forgotten about that. I think, no, Claudia Winkleman was Dougal's daughter, I think, as well. Yes, yes, she would be. Yes, yeah, yeah, you can tell. It. Of course. That's it. And Tess Daly's parents were Morecambe and Wise. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that. I mean, look, my in-town show only got on there because I inherited it from Hugh Scully, who used to do Hugh Scully's in town, where he would sort yeah. of go to places like Kettering with a grandfather clock. Is that really a thing that happened on the BBC? Because I've looked that up on YouTube, if that's the case. <laughs> Hugh Scully's in town. Good evening. This week, I've come to Oswestry. I'm trying to do jokes about the town, and every bastard has turned up with an old biscuit tin. How am I supposed to do my cutting jokes about the characters of the local area if all you fucking do is turn up with your bloody stupid old board games? You scullies in town with a snooker ball in a sock. That's what I'd like to watch. You would turn up and just raise the place to the ground, just like smashing people's teeth out, and then you just get on the bus and go to the next place. Yeah, it's surprising it didn't happen, because I think he was in the original scum. Yeah, he was. That's it. Oh, it all comes back to me. Yes, I'm the daddy now. <laughs> Not only that, but that slopping out bucket was made in 1952 and it's part of a pair. <laughs> oh, Hugh, we miss you every day. But here's some of the things, because the BBC does, bless them, you know, obviously we both have enormous affection. When the sort of BBC were forced into publishing the wages oh, yeah. of people like Gary Lineker and so on. In fact, the, I mean, the radio money, <laughs> Jeremy Hardy, God rest his soul, always used to say, the BBC still refuses to publish the wages of people on radio because nobody would believe how little it is. <laughs> people start sending parcels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, for just £5 a month, you can support a local radio presenter. It's that kind of shit, isn't it? It's that thing, and we all know that. I mean, I no longer work there, but I still have enormous affection for it. And I don't know, it's not a controversial thing to say, I don't think, that... For them to be forced to do that, which is essentially what happened, you know, be forced to uh, publish yearly. It's almost the McCarthyism, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, And obviously yeah, yeah. it's a genius move because, of course, if you've got the tabloids on your side as well, they're not going to talk about any cronyism on the other side. They're just going to go, I can't fucking believe Graham Norton's getting £1.1 million to do these free shows. And it's like... Of course people are going to go with that because it's just, it's just an easy yeah, target. Yeah. And for somebody who that happened to, it's such an unbelievable invasion of your privacy, especially as a British person. Just one of those things that you don't fucking talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not America, is it? No. I know. I always find that amazing in America. I always found that Jerry Maguire thing amazing, you know, where the big thing where the American footballer finally gets his yeah. $10 million contract or whatever, and it's announced, isn't yeah. it, on the chat oh, yeah. show. I've been awarded a $10 million contract and all the crowds are going, yeah. wow. And I thought, if that was this country, people would go, you fucking what? How much <laughs> you fucking asshole? There would be no tyre unslashed, that's for sure. <laughs> no, no, there wouldn't be. <laughs> Now, also this week, while we are on the subject of our brightest and finest ministers of state <laughs> informing us as to what the fuck is going on, thank mm. God they do. Not only that, but Dominic Raab made this most wonderful statement from the Conservative Conference. I don't know if I almost felt sorry for him because he clearly was saying this, not having a clue what he was on about, but seeing as he's foreign secretary or was, maybe he should have. He said, asked about misogyny, that misogyny is a terrible thing, whether it's a man being misogynistic about women 
or women being misogynistic about men. <laughs> oh, my. Is Dominic the same guy who was confused about Dover being our most important port or something, even though he was, yeah, yeah, when yeah. he was transport minister or so? I've got, maybe I've got a bit of that wrong. He was foreign minister, and he was surprised that we imported things across the channel. And the implication <laughs> was that he thought there wasn't a channel there. Yes, it's what fascinating becoming foreign minister for so many years... I've tried to get to France and just ended up soaked. And now this sort of explains it. Spoils a good walk, doesn't it? That fucking channel. I mean, I think that it really smacks of... It's, there's a lot of deliberate, I think, obfuscation and confusion. It's a bit like the Trump administration to me. They do things and say things that are so fucking dumb. A bit like the Nadine thing. Mm. You're just too busy thinking, did he just say that about Dove? And then yeah. before you know it, they've got your wallet. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a bit like the little Boris Johnson videos at the moment, the sort of 10-second build-back batter. Yes. They're so weird and so counterintuitive and non-statesmanlike and odd that you just, you're on the back foot, aren't you? You can't believe what you're seeing. I think there is some of that, Sean, and it is possible. I'd almost admire them more. if In the future, if it turned out that this was all a plan, that Johnson and Trump and all of that were sort of secretly hugely intelligent. If they're doing it to trick us, they're doing a brilliant job because yeah. he really, really did look. And Dominic Raab, a bit like Hancock, I always say he had the look <laughs> in his face that I have when I take the car to the garage. And they go, yeah. uh, has your head gasket been playing up? Yeah. And I'm just thinking, fuck, just say yes or no, it's 50-50. I don't know. And that's Hancock's expression. And it was Raab's as well. He did it brilliantly. Misogyny, terrible, men to women. Animal cruelty is terrible, whether it's people being cruel to animals or cats being insanely cruel to humans, just as bad. Slavery was awful, whether it was slaves yeah. being treated badly by the slave owners or whether it was slaves being horrible to the British Empire. That was just as yeah. bad. It beggars belief, doesn't it? It's like that whole thing of, I think it was Dominic who was like proudly sort of, no, no I'm not a feminist. You oh, know? yes. And it's these sort of shiny blue suited middle-aged men just coming out swinging at the snowflakes, aren't they? They're just so sort of angry anything that could be perceived as being in some way caring. I wouldn't even give a fuck about any of this business of Brexit or anything like that if there was a little theme running through it of giving a shit about other people at any point, you know what I mean? But it does feel very much as though we're a long way from that. We're, we're a long way from Kansas now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's in us woke. Yeah. How much more do we have to give a shit about people? Yeah. I'm sick and tired of having to give a shit just because the give a shit party <laughs> says that it's important to give a shit about people. Yeah. However, we must come on to this subject that I think is, well, I hope is very close to you, John, oh, yeah. Yeah. which is the subject of festivals. Mm. Now, first of all, because Glastonbury, this is always a certain sort of, certain big moment in the year, isn't it? Definitely. When the headliner for Glastonbury is announced. And this year, it's um, your woman, Billy Eilish, yeah. whatever her name is. Yeah. Now, festivals are... In particular, because of your sort of recent job change, yeah. this is a big subject for you in any case, isn't it? It is, because, you know, obviously working at BBC Radio 6 Music for all those years, we were at the heart of all that stuff and we used to cover Glastonbury and everything. But uh, now I've sort of moved along. My first tenure, is that the right word, mm. is uh, we've got a little podcast called The Lineup. And it's basically like, you know, we get a guest and we talk through the fantasy festival and I'm the fantasy festival genie. And they can choose anybody 
living or dead. But we go into much more detail about, you know, what carbohydrates are you having when, who's in your crew. You know, it all gets a bit emotional at times. It's very nice. It's a nice little journey. But I, I love this story about Billie Eilish because I sort of look forward to how many people it pisses off. And I always think it's good to piss the right people off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like in 2010, I think it was. This is the big story that everybody always talks about is when Jay-Z was announced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, loads of people went apeshit. There's no place for hip-hop. Glastonbury is ridiculous. <laughs> There's not even any guitars on most of his records, you know. And I'm an old fart. I fucking love, you know, sort of Led Zepp and stuff like that. But I'm also open-minded enough to know that, especially if you've ever been to Glastonbury, it's like a huge city mm. the size of Leicester or something with about 180 stages going on. The idea that whoever's headlining the main stage dominates the whole thing is ridiculous. But it's just a lovely thing, I think, that the Evises do of going, we like this, this is the way forward. I don't know much about Billy's music, but I know that the people who like it love it and she's the way forward and she's like flipping the bird to fucking, you know, certain administrations in America that are talking about abortion rights being taken away and stuff. She's on the right side of things. And I think anything that pisses off a certain cabal of angry, usually white, middle-aged fellas is absolutely great by my book. You know, I just think I can't wait to see it. Well, yes, on that note, I think possibly the greatest gig I ever saw there, certainly a contender was Storms. Yeah, okay. Uh, Which I missed, unbelievably, but it oh. was, I saw it, I caught up on it and it looked, was it amazing to be in the crowd? Stunning. It was stunning. <laughs> and you know sometimes when you're at a sort of thing like that, and I was sort of with my daughter, but she'd gone off somewhere and I got lost a bit. So I was watching it on my own, in in a sense, or I was a massive crowd. <laughs> and you know, sometimes you think, oh, I, I felt so profoundly, extraordinarily moved by it all. I thought, this is one of the greatest gigs I've ever seen. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, is it me? Am I just in some funny mood? Has some particularly poignant drug just drifted <laughs> across and seeped into me pores? And it was actually shit. And now I've put it on Twitter, this is the greatest thing ever. And people go, what the fuck are you on about? It was terrible. His trousers <laughs> fell down, the stage caught fire, he forgot the words he started doing a bloody eulogy to bloody George Osborne what are you talking about but it wasn't everybody oh, yeah. who was there sort of seemed to agree with that you know? and it's so Glastonbury's that thing isn't it it's you know if you're going to pick sides and I hate that you know it's great like they say in American politics you know across the divide you know it'd be great if we could all get together in the middle because that's where most people are but in this divisive world, I think Glastonbury is just one of the most beautiful places on earth because you find your like minds and you find people who do give a fuck about people and that's where they're all off the nut just loving things like Stormzy and Billie Eilish. You know, it's going to be amazing. And I'm going to be down the front for that one, I think. Yeah, 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 very much so. Well, here's a couple of times when I didn't feel at my best at Glastonbury was <laughs> I think the same weekend that Stormzy was on. Kylie Minogue was on oh, yeah. and I was with the, the very lovely Phil Jupiter and we were sort of wandering around we had a little sort of hip flask with some rum and I thought this is absolutely delightful and then Kylie <laughs> Minogue was on and we stood there and I thought oh I don't know you know it's not really my cup of tea and he agreed and we both said oh let's go it's not like she's going to bring Nick Cave on is it <laughs> and we left and then about two hours later we were did you see Nick Cave was brought on with kind of was amazing worse than that about six or seven years ago Dolly Parton was the headliner and I am a complete devotee of Miss Dolly Parton and I was down to be doing Billy Bragg's left field tent and I got an email from him and I think even in email form Billy Bragg sort of (laughs) as you read it you can't help going what time are you coming to the gig (laughs) so I sort of I said at any time you could put me on any time except this time when I'm on another tent and 
obviously when Dolly Parton's on. I love Dolly Parton. Obviously, don't put me on when Dolly Parton's on. And then about the day before I was going, I thought I better check, and he put me on when Dolly oh, Parton was on. Sorry, so Dolly. Now, yeah, well, it was a mistake to oh. be fair, and he has every time he sees me. Oh, I'm so sorry about the Dolly Parton. <laughs> yeah, all right. But that, can you imagine? So I saw the first two songs. I saw her come on in this glorious, white, magnificent, bloody, wonderful, wonderful outfit. Come on, do a couple of gags about the mud. Brilliant. And then I had to leave. I had to walk through the crowd, away from Dolly Parton, about 100 yards to Billy Bragg's <laughs> left field tent, to stand in front of about 60 people that were there, all of which I hated, because what the <laughs> What were they doing there when Dolly Parton was fucking just over there, you idiot? I think I'd started by saying, you fucking, you're idiots. Why are you watching me? You're not you're never going to get a chance to see her again. I'm going to sing nine to five and fucking just make your life a misery. I've never been so fucking <laughs> angry during the gig. I thought you were going to say, and then I started performing and unfortunately the pyramid stage completely emptied as 70,000 people came over to watch me and Billy have a chat. Dolly gave up and come yeah. in. Can oh I my make God. a request, Mr. Steele? <laughs> So, Sean, so brilliant to have you on. Lovely to have you. Tell us what the podcast is again so that people can listen to the marvels of the festivals. The majesty of it. It's called The Lineup. You get it where you get your podcasts. And also, coming up quite soon, he said, double selling. I've got one called Sean Keaven's Creative Cul-de-Sac, where I flip through 20 years of bad notebook ideas and then do the same with a very special guest. So we've got two coming out. I don't care what anybody's got to say about it. You've got too many podcasts. You're a two-podcast <laughs> prick. I am. And keep your eye out for them. Yes, I think there are currently seven podcasts per human being <laughs> yeah. in the world. They're like rats. You are never more than two and a half feet from a podcast. But <laughs> thank you very much for being on this one, Mr. Sean Gavney. This week, the trailer for the long-awaited Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon, was released. Now, I've never seen a single episode of Game of Thrones, but luckily, someone who is a huge fan and even has a replica throne made out of swords is with us, George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Daenerys Khaleesi, mother of all dragons, your pitiful triumvirate of incendiary, fire-breathing pets were ingloriously humiliated by their mighty battalions of the heroic undead, comprised of tenacious white walkers under the tutelage of the Night King in all his glacial magnificence. The prequel will no doubt illuminate in illustrious detail the tawdry circumstances that sowed the seeds of your Pyrrhic victory before your inevitable demise. That, Daenerys Khaleesi, mother of all dragons, if those are indeed your real names. It's why I will not be bending the knee to your tyrannical tomfoolery or setting a series link for the House of the Dragon, although I would appreciate it if you would refrain from spoilers in case I change my mind. What the fuck is going on? Newcastle fans are ecstatic 
The owner of their club, Mike Ashley, the boss of Sports Direct, is finally being replaced. The new owners are in effect the Saudi government. So it proves how popular Ashley was that almost every fan is yelling, the Saudi government tortures people and beheads people and funds terrorists. But they've got rid of Ashley. This is fantastic. The Saudis should feel at home there because one of the ends at St James's Park is called the Gallowgate End, named after where there used to be the town gallows, which is a welcoming touch. See that, your majesty? That's where we used to hang people. You're like that pet. In some ways, Newcastle and Saudi Arabia is an odd partnership. In one of them, it's 130 degrees and everyone's covered from head to toe. And in the other, it's minus 60 and everyone goes around without a shirt going, you're not fucking cold, are you? But the Newcastle Supporters Trust has written to Yazir al-Rumayan, who's at the head of the Saudi consortium, and these are their actual words. Dear His Excellency... Welcome to Newcastle United. We admire your desire and tenacity to buy our football club. We asked our members if they were in favour of your takeover bid with a resounding 96.7% in agreement. I bet there was a PS that read, We would gladly hunt down the 3.3% who rejected your indefatigable generosity and hand them to your secret police, your sublime eroticness. Or PPS, Keith Beefy Roberts can't wait to go on the lash with you. PPPS, lash means something else in New. If ISIS had bought Newcastle, this lot would have gone, we welcome you, your glorious fundamental jihadiness, and unveiled a massive banner saying, Toon Army welcomes sadist, merciless, infinite destroyer of the heathen infidel. Champions League, here we come. It makes you realise if ISIS were smart, they'd have bought football clubs instead of bombing everything. Because most football fans are the same. They could have bought West Ham and the fans would be going, you go down to Califat Stadium to watch the game against Norwich after Friday prayers, Dave. And then they'd all be stood up there going, I'm forever blowing up, bubbles! Or if Kim Jong-un bought Portsmouth, there'd be a statement saying, we welcome our dear leader and look forward to him deploying nuclear missiles against the treacherous running dogs of Southampton. And then Leeds might go one better and be bought by the devil. And the fans would be asked if they were troubled by their new owner. But they'd say, he might be Prince of Darkness and cause war and famine and such like. But he'll put his red hand in pocket and give us a quality centre back what we've been crying out for. So I'm bucking him. And the pundits would be saying, No one knows more about relegation than Lucifer. It would have been easy when he was in the lake of fire to give up, but he's fought his way back. And now here he is in charge of Leeds as they take on Wolverhampton Wanderers in the Carabao Cup. All the fans are carrying tridents. He'll love that. Now, obviously, the process would have to go through the usual rigorous checks, but eventually the FA would declare Satan was a fit and proper person and everyone would be reassured. The FA recently threatened a footballer with a three-match ban for a homophobic tweet that he'd made as a 14-year-old. But the FA don't have a problem with this takeover because, fair play to the Saudis, when they execute gays... At least they don't use homophobic language. Now, the FA are trying to argue that it's not the Saudi royal family that's behind the takeover. It's just a normal, ordinary Saudi who you have to call his excellency. Just like the people who murdered the journalist Jamal Khashoggi weren't acting on behalf of the Saudi prince. They just happened to murder him and then went, Oh, no, we've gone and murdered that journalist to attack the prince the other day. I hope the prince isn't cross at us. So you can't blame the fans for going along with all of this when FIFA decided that the World Cup should be played in Qatar where it's 50 degrees and the commentators will say, Kylian Mbappé!
Mbappe is being substituted after seven minutes because he's evaporated. Maybe FIFA will reward the next World Cup to somewhere even more nuts than Qatar, like the Arctic Ocean or Narnia or a comet or the home furnishing section of Cheltenham John Lewis. But this could all turn out to be good news. Now the Saudis are running a football club, they'll have less time to do all the other stuff they get up to. I haven't time to murder journalists or bomb the Yemen. We have crucial cup game against Shrewsbury coming up third round. If only the FA had allowed Hitler to buy Aston Villa in 1938, it could have saved no end of trouble. He'd have been going, There's no time to invade Poland! We have a six-pointer gig on Ipswich next on Mittwoch! Oh, what the fuck is going on? Well, there have been, of course, some pretty disturbing things that have happened in the world this week, and I heard a woman in a cafe talking about one of them. Well, when I heard the news, I was devastated. I thought, this is awful. I don't know how I'm going to cope. And then I found out it wasn't just Facebook that was down. It was WhatsApp and Instagram as well. And I need WhatsApp because I'm in a group where we message each other if we've seen something worrying in the street, like if someone's parked a vehicle that's more than two years old. And if Facebook's down, how on earth am I supposed to share my pictures of how we've moved the arc floor lamp to the other side of the harpsichord? And it wasn't easy moving it because it's got a marble base and it weighs a ton, so now the nanny slipped a disc. So she took forever when I sent it to Snappy Snaps to get the photos printed so she could post them through all the neighbours' letterboxes. And I felt so sorry for poor old Nectarine because I had 285 videos ready to upload to Instagram because she made a cup of tea. <laughs> and she put the bag in all by herself and she's only 11. She's very advanced for her age. And now this special moment has been ruined. And Colin only sees Nectarine on Instagram because he's so busy as he's head of marketing for Pringles for the whole of the Rygate area. And now the nanny's complaining because she's in a wheelchair. That, that's the trouble with people nowadays. It's just, it's just me, me, me. Excuse me, could you do something about the awful lighting in here? I want to take a photo of my guava and mallard salad. It's always a delight to read and to answer the messages that get sent into the uh, what the fuck is going on offices. Massive offices now, sort of huge skyscrapers are being built across Croydon in order to try and uh, process all of the stuff that gets sent in. And amongst the stuff sent in, Kevin Isaacs asks, what the fuck is going on with this Guardian headline? Up to 120,000 pigs in the UK face culling due to the lack of abattoir workers. And he says, so are we going to kill all the pigs because there aren't enough workers to kill the pigs? Well, you're quite right, Kevin. That is extraordinary. They go, oh, no, we've got no one to kill the pigs. Now we're going to have to kill the pigs. Who's going to kill the pigs then? Can't you get the people who are going to kill the pigs to kill the pigs? What the fuck's going on with this country? And Crabby asks what the fuck is going on. Headline in the independent newspaper, man spotted running around Dublin in a metallic ball. That's Now, I've been to Dublin, and on a Friday night, that would be amongst the bottom 30% of crazy things you would see in the streets of Dublin. There's far crazier things than that. Having spent a lot of time in Brighton in recent years, a similar thing happens. You get used to sort of seeing certain things, and then people who aren't used to Brighton come down, and they get all excited. Look at that! What? Up there! Can't see nothing there. The bloke, naked, covered in pink glitter, doing a tightrope walk from the town hall to the pier. And when you're used to it, you go, oh, that's Big Mary's the mayor. What the fuck is going on? Now, 
in this ever-changing, fast-moving world, there isn't a chance of knowing what the fuck is going on unless you're at least in touch with the younger generation. And luckily, I've bred someone who can furnish me with all that's happening in the world of youth. Elliot Steele. Hello. Now, I want to talk to you about the world of TikTok. Yes. Because this is... No one my age is allowed on TikTok. I don't know what it is. I sort of see people dancing about in it and stuff and think, what is that? And you're all on TikTok at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the viral sensation of TikTok. Right. So what does that mean? How many people have watched you on TikTok? Uh, on one of my videos, like a million but like a few others, like tens of thousands. A million people. And what do you do? Do you have to dance? No, I'll put up a stand-up clip. But you have to you have to preface it like that TikTok's all about, basically. It's the worst thing in the world. It's there for Chinese companies to harvest data. So it's designed to be as engaging as possible from every angle. So it's very short clips, like a minute, two minutes long. If you want your clip to do well, it has to cut constantly, be subtitled, be exciting. It has to be engaging. And then it's designed to be the most addictive form of social media, meaning that you can go viral on it with relative ease because of the way the algorithm works, meaning that that then gives you the release of the serotonin and that you're doing well. That's what TikTok's designed for. It's designed to be addictive. Hang on, none of that. So the, the, for the Chinese to harvest, is that real or is that one of them things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's genuinely what it's for. It's that's just... not like, oh, the thing is with Instagram, Bill Gates watches every one and then he copies it all and sends it to his mates in, in Saturn. Well, it's Mark Zuckerberg that owns Instagram, so there's that. But also, Instagram has, uh, yeah, Instagram. Instagram is pretty bad as well, actually, seeing as it designs what women's body issues are going to be over the next three years. Instagram does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it's social media changes. So like, a few years ago, it was like, look at my six pack, look at my car, and now it's look at how woke I am, and there'll be like a trend on it. And that's that's what the training like. Uh, you, you know, when that stuff with the Taliban was happening, there was like all these stories on Instagram that was like, here's what's going on in Kabul and here's what you can do to help. And not one of them was telling me what mountain in Uzbekistan to meet the resistance so we could go reclaim Kabul. It was all like right to your local MP. So it's like what Steve Reed from Croydon North going to do about this? Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's yeah, designed yeah. to be virtue signally, and that's what gets the engagements at the moment. So that's what the algorithm prefers. But also on Instagram, if you post anything on it, you don't own it. Instagram owns it. Right. So if this had been around in Shakespeare's time, he'd have put up a little bit of Hamlet, and then he'd have tried to do it as a play, and then Mark Zuckerberg would have come down and go, no, that to be or not to be speech, that's mine now. He could do potentially, yes. He could have done that, but that's how it works. So TikTok then, what, so how is that different? I don't get, what is the difference between TikTok and Instagram then? It's a bunch of dancing Asian kids on TikTok mainly. And so is and that, that, I know that sounds like sort of a bit racist, but that that's what it is. It's Asian kids dancing. So have you like broken the mould with this then by putting someone on there that's done well that isn't there? No, like there's like sections of it for comedy, there's sections of it for all sorts, but it's a lot of, like a lot of the stuff on TikTok, it's about quantity over quality. That's how TikTok's designed. You have to be prolific with it, not good with it. So what's the thing you've put on there? Uh, a, a routine. What is it, though? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if you want to go into this. Yeah. It's about your your grandchild. What? Yeah. Have you not seen the bit? No, you told me not to watch it. Don't. It's, it's, it's a really horrible joke about your grandchild. What, and a million people have seen a horrible joke about... I didn't expect it to do as well as it did. 
So I'll tell you the joke. So I'll tell you what happened. Yeah. It's a bit about people saying, oh, are you prepared to be an uncle? Are you ready to be an, what an uncle is? Like, like putting this pressure on me about being an uncle. Right. But being an uncle is easy because all you got to do as an uncle is try not fuck it. And even if you fail at that, with the way therapy is nowadays and how accessible it is, it'll be fine. And I ran it past Eloise and she was like, that's very funny. And then I sent Eloise the screenshot of it getting a million views going, oops. And Eloise went, well, I bet you're glad I didn't get an abortion. (laughs) (laughs) And a million people have seen this. Yeah. So the comments, the comments are the worst thing, right? The comments are like old school Twitter and YouTube. It's a bunch of people going, not funny, telling me what I should have done for the joke, saying it's not dark enough. One or my Saying it's not dark enough. What do they want you to be in fucking full ISIS gear with a sword over the baby's head? How could it be not dark enough? Well, people try to do that and seem edgy. Do you know what I mean? Like, the comment sections on anything are just always unfulfilled. Oh, like, my God. This is this is unearthed a terrible wasp nest of filth. But it could be worse. I could be one of the teens dancing on it. I think that's less admirable than using your newborn niece for likes. Oh, my God. I did say the other day that my grandchild may well be, if she looks after herself, live to the end of the human race, given that 100 years, that's probably about what we've got. But now I'm thinking that's probably going to be for the best. I don't think that's dark enough. <laughs> well, congratulations on a million people seeing this. Yeah, I think I think that's really trumped being an uncle, actually. Yes. Thank you very much, Elliot. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Now, in traditional fashion, I'm supposed to tell you where I'm going to be and you can come and see me live if you wish to. Between now and about a month's time, I'm in Basingstoke, Tenbury Wells, Twickenham and Farnham. Now, I was told that the tickets are all sold out, but maybe given the age of my audience, then the chances of tickets becoming available between the time of purchase and the event, it's always a possibility. So if you go on the websites for any of those theatres or off the curb website, then you may find that there are some available hope so if you've liked the podcast please subscribe rate it and if you can be bothered write a review if you can't be bothered then definitely write a review we've now got a website what the f is going on podcast.co.uk and if there's anything at all that you think i should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it please send me a message on twitter at wtf is going on pod and we will do our best to look at all the messages we will definitely look at all the messages that you send what the Fuck Is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests, Sean Keaveney and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. It was produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the Fuck Is Going On is a co-production between Podmonkey and Consec Industries.